0: Welcome to Fox Valley Church. My name is John Sitzler, I'm the lead pastor. I'm excited that you decided to listen to this message. Isaiah 61 states that we can be like great oak trees planted by the Lord. That's our goal for you, yes you. So as you listen to this message, be ready for what God wants to bring to your attention. I believe that you're gonna encounter God as you listen. I really do. Are you ready? Let's discover what God has planned.
1: Of you might be wondering how I got up here. I know that I was not expecting to do this. So let me give you this background. Uh, back in September, my wonderful husband <laughs> says to me one morning while I'm doing devotions, uh, hey, what if you maybe preached sometime in November? And I looked at him and smiled and laughed in my head and said, no, thank you. I don't think so. Um, and, and then, of course, he pulled out the good old, well, don't you want to pray about it first? <laughs> and so, of course, what did I have to do? I had to pray about it. And so I did. Um, and I was very specific with God and said, God, if you really want me to do this, then I need you to at least confirm confirm this, like, three times. I, like, I really need to know it's from you, God, and I let it go. I said, if you really want me to, I will, but this this is what I'm looking for, and so some time had passed, and um, we, I sometimes lead on Wednesday nights, and one Wednesday night, I had led, and I, after prayer, my husband, of course, comes to me and says, I don't know why you just don't preach, I thought, okay, okay, God, and then that same night, Out in the hallway, I had one other person come to me and said, you know, what you said tonight just really spoke to my heart. I thought, okay, there's number two. And then that same night, I had another person catch me and say, you know, whenever you speak, you just speak from your heart, and it always is so great and so meaningful. There's number three. So on my drive home, I said to God, okay, what is it that you want? What do you want me to do? And I even said, you know, I have no idea what you want me to say. God, I, I am no theologian, let me just tell you. Went to Bible school, but that was a long time ago. And so I don't know what you want. And God spoke to me and dumped it all into my head. And so John came home from church, and uh, I said, as soon as he walked in the door, you need to sit down. And he thought he was in trouble. <laughs> He wasn't, uh, but I did explain what was going on, and so we talked a little bit, and things solidified and clarified, and so here I am today, coming to you. Um, so, thank you. So my fear is that I have either not enough material, or I have far too much material. <laughs> so you're gonna get what you get today. Um, my, message, my title today is, do you have a bad so you might be wondering, what is a bad A bad is a bad attitude. So my husband and I have this habit whenever uh, we are done with work. We come together, we kind of sit down, and we say, How are you today? How was your day? How are you feeling? What happened today? Um, and there was a day earlier this, uh, in September <laughs> where this had happened. And so he had asked me, How was my day? And so I proceeded To tell him my day, and it led into a 45-minute complaining session, 45 minutes. I mean, think about that, 45 minutes of listening to somebody complain, that's a lot. And after my complaining session, uh, God kind of spoke to me and said, hmm, Charisse, you have a little bit of an attitude problem. And so that's kind of where this message had come from. So my situation with my attitude, um, it kind of had been building for several months. And let me just say that my situation has not changed, by the way. Um, But my attitude was what had to change. And so um, God talked to me about all that. So let's talk a little bit about what is attitude. I did a little research, and this is interesting. So in psychology... An attitude refers to a set of emotions, beliefs, and behaviors toward a particular object, person, thing, or event. So I want you to look at this really closely. Emotions. I don't know about you, but I can't always trust my emotions. They are real, but they're not always trustworthy. Beliefs. Sometimes we can believe in the wrong thing. Behaviors, sometimes my behavior is not so good. So it's all of those things that is set towards either a person, a situation, or an event. So you can see how your attitude can really impact what you do, your behavior. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. Our attitudes are often the result of experiences or our upbringings. And so depending on your experience and upbringing can depend on your attitude towards things. Um, And they can have a powerful influence over your behavior. I don't know about you, but I know that I don't always behave the best, and I know that my attitude isn't always the best. And so checking our attitude is always a good thing. So attitudes are broken down into four different categories. You can have a positive attitude, which I know everybody loves a positive attitude. You can have a negative attitude. You can have a neutral attitude. Did you know that? A neutral attitude. Meaning, right, you're neither positive nor negative. You're just neutral. And then you can also have a sicken attitude. Sicken, yes which is a negative attitude with aggression. So nobody wants that, right? So maybe you've heard of some of these attitudes. Thoughtful, determined, courageous, caring, trusting, joyful, peaceful, generous, kind, loving, all considered positive attitudes now listen to these selfish bitter angry envious critical cynical dishonest greedy blameful doubtful all considered negative attitudes So why do we have bad attitudes? Well, can I just tell you? Sometimes we're selfish. I want it my way. And I want what I want when I want it. Right? I mean, how many of you have ever been selfish, right? I know I have been. And sometimes we like to put a little twist on it. You know, we like to clean it up a little bit. Um, I'm older I'm wiser, I've I've been around the block, you know, I I know a thing or two, so let me just tell you how this should go, right? We clean it up, but still, it's still selfish. Or how about, you know, my boss, my coworker? they think they know the best way, but let me tell you a better way, because I'm in the trenches and I know what I'm doing. Or maybe you and your spouse are having some issues, Maybe it's your spouse has been unloving or disrespectful and that has caused a bad attitude. Or maybe there has been a person who has simply wronged you or said something unkind to you. And maybe that person is even sitting in this room and you have developed an attitude of unforgiveness. Or maybe you simply just don't like the direction of leadership in this church or in your company. You think you have a better way and it has resulted in a complaining attitude. Or maybe you are a student and you feel like your parents or your teachers are unreasonable because they are just so demanding and they ask too much of you and you have developed a bad attitude. Or maybe you're in a situation where things are simply happening way too fast for your liking or way too slow for your liking and you have developed an attitude of anxiousness or of frustration. Or maybe you're simply holding on to some bitterness and you are just angry. Or maybe it could be that God has not answered your prayer yet. And you are doubtful. You're ready to give up. That can cause an attitude. So I wanted to look at some scripture about attitudes. And I do love how the Bible is truth. And I don't know about you, but I believe every word in my Bible. I believe in all of the things that happened, including some stories that I am like, Mind blown that how could that actually happen? And so we're going to look at some of that today, out of Numbers. And so if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be starting off in Numbers, verse uh, chapter eleven. And so this is the story of Moses and the Israelites. And if you know anything about Moses and the Israelites, you will remember that the Israelites were God's chosen people. They were enslaved in Egypt. And Moses was the one who was leading them out of Egypt into the wilderness, into uh, God's promised land. And so Moses um, is taking them. They've crossed the Red Sea. God has parted the sea. It's been a miraculous movement of God, right? And the Israelites are now wandering in the wilderness, being led by a cloud. By day, a fire by night, and Moses is guiding them. And so we're going to pick up in Numbers 11, starting with verse 1. Soon the people began complaining about their hardship. And the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. Interesting. He heard their complaining. Now God had just done all this amazing things. I mean, he had parted the Red Sea. He got them out of Egypt. They are no longer slaves. They are all together, and God is guiding them and directing them, and they are Complaining. Really? Complaining? Complaining so much so that God sent fire and destroyed some of them. I mean, can you imagine? They must have really been complaining. I mean, I certainly don't want God sending down fire to destroy me after my 45-minute complaining session. So the Lord hears, he hears everything. And so he had heard their complaining. And so let's continue the story in uh, verses four through six. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with them, which I learned, this foreign rabble are not actually the Israelites. There was this group of people who was just kinda, came along with them and they were foreigners. And they were also up to no good, by the way. So the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt, and the people of Israel also began to complain, because once one does, let's all just hop on board. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, and onions, and garlic we wanted. But now, our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Hmm. Manna? Manna. God's gift from heaven, right? If you know the story, then you know that manna was provided every day from God, from heaven. And interesting. Mana, uh, manna just think. It's morning, you get out of your tent, you're hungry, you go outside. Manna already right there for you. No grocery shopping. I don't know, you I do not like grocery shopping. It's not my favorite thing to do. And so it is right there. All you have to do is pick it up and eat it. I mean it is not difficult, people. I don't know why you're complaining. And so they don't have to grind flour, they don't have to knead the dough, they don't have to bake it over the fire, just eat it. Quit your complaining and eat your food. But no, more complainers. And so they were complaining because they were remembering all the things from before, right? Looking back to Egypt and they were comparing Right? And I don't know about you, but nothing good comes from comparison. And so here is this wonderful manna that God himself has provided, and you want all those things from back when you were slaves in Egypt? And you're going to complain. Can I tell you that complainers, they tend to gripe when they don't have it, and then when they get it, they gripe some more because it's not in the way that they wanted it. don't be a complainer, don't gripe, right? God has given us good things. And so the story continues. The Israelites, they continue to travel through the wilderness, and they find come to the promised land, and they're on the brink of the promised land, they are ready to enter it, and so in the story, they um, send some scouts out to the promised land to scout it out to see what is it going to be like, how is it going to be, and so uh, the scouts come back with a report, and if you know the story, you, you know the report is, the land is amazing, it's filled with milk and honey and goodness from God and all these fruits. And it is wonderful, except there's giants. Giants in the land. And there's no way that we're going to conquer these giants. And so what happens? There's two, two men that says, we can, we can take them. God is with us, and we can certainly take the giants, and we can take the land. But who's louder? Those complainers. And they start complaining again. How could God bring us this far to the promised land only to keep us from entering it? We should have just died in the wilderness. Our children are going to be taken as plunder. Let's just go back to Egypt and become slaves again. It's a lot of complaining. And can I tell you, there's some results to your complaining and my complaining and their complaining? And we're going to look at that in Numbers 14. We're going to start in verse 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in this wilderness. Because you complained against me, Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jeb, and Joshua, son of Nun. You said your children would be carried off as plunder? Well, I will bring them safely into the land, and they will enjoy what you... Have despised, But as for you, you will all drop dead in the wilderness, and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. A year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. Some heavy stuff there, isn't it? I mean, I, we like to skip over some of this stuff, don't we? Like it's a, it's a glorious, you know. Like they made it to the Promised Land, and God parted the Red Sea, and manna from heaven, and it was great. It was not. They complained the whole, entire time. And there were some serious consequences here. A whole generation dying because of your complaining. Think about that. I learned that there was about two million people who took this journey. Two million. And think of a generation of two million people They were wandering through the wilderness until that generation died. Think of the graves and the people just toppling over, death after death after death, because of your complaining, because of your attitude. So, when you boil grumbling down to its basic, common denominator, you realize it is actually asking the Lord, are you here or not? Think about that. When you're complaining in every situation that you might have, aren't you really just saying, God, are you in control of this or not? I know when I sat with my husband and I complained and I complained and I complained about my situation, in the back of my mind, God's just going, but don't you think I know? Don't you think I have you there for that reason? God knows. God knows your situation. God knows why you're complaining. But don't you think he put you there? And your complaining has consequences, dire consequences, by the way. These people died because of it. They were promised a land full of rich and goodness, and they were right there on the brink of it. Yet, they didn't get there because of their complaining and because of their attitude. So let's look at Moses. We can't forget about him. I mean, he is the one who's leading them. He is also the one that they're all complaining to, right? I mean, as a leader, that's kind of what you get sometimes, right? You get all the people who just want to sit and complain. And so if you remember Moses, he is the baby that was taken out of the river, right? glorious story, right? He's saved, miraculously saved, and Pharaoh's daughter raises him as her own. and so he is um, the prince of Egypt, right? And but really he's not Egyptian at all. He is actually a um, Hebrew. And so I don't know if you realize this, but Moses really has a long history of an attitude problem. If you remember the story, he uh, grows up. In Egypt, And one day he's watching and he sees an Egyptian man kill a Hebrew man. And so Moses gets pretty angry. So much so that he goes out and he kills that Egyptian man. A little bit of an anger issue there, I would say. And then Moses, he flees to the desert. And that's where God appears to him in the burning bush, right? And says, Moses, I'm going to have you lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses' response is, Great, Lord, take me, right? No. Moses says, no, Lord, not me. Uh-uh, I'm not good enough. Have you seen my brother Aaron? You should check him out. He's probably very good for this job. But Moses eventually, he, he leads them out of Egypt. And so we're going to pick up the story here in the middle of the wilderness. And so Moses has now led the people out and he's in the wilderness. And in Exodus chapter 32... Verses 15 through 20. We're going to pick up here in a moment. Um, Moses has gone up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God. Um, and a great, great story. And so Aaron, in the meantime, is down below at the bottom of the base of the mountain with all the people. And Aaron has let things run a little amuck at the bottom of the hill. And so let's read 32 verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God Himself. Now I'm going to stop here for a moment. Now think about this. Moses goes up the mountain, right? Let me just say, he wasn't like carrying tablets with him, right? He just simply obeyed, went up the mountain. And God provided the tablets, and God wrote on the tablets, okay? So, verse 17 When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, It sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, No, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. And when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. So the people below, they had formed this golden calf, and they are worshiping now this golden calf instead of the Lord. Remember, the same God who had parted the Red Sea, provided all the manna, is guiding them by fire and cloud, and now you're worshiping a golden calf? And so, we're going to continue. Verse 19. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. Okay. I mean, God just gave you these tablets. He just handwritten on them for you and you are so angry, you're going to actually smash the tablets that God has given you? I, that, I have no words. I mean, God's own hand has written these for you. He created the tablets for you, and you are so angry that you, you can't just set them down first? I, I, I don't understand. But no, he, he smashes that. Not only that, oh, this is good. Verse 20. He took the calf they had made and he burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Now, if that's not some anger issues and some attitude, I don't know what is. I mean, Seriously? You're going to force people to drink some gold powder in their water? Wow, that's quite the leader. I mean, if John was like, hey, you sinned, so we're going to you know, drink some gold powder today. I don't know how well you would like that. So interestingly, Exodus 34, 1, God tells Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. So God is redeeming here, right? But interestingly enough, God originally had given Moses these tablets, right? He, he just, they were there for him. But now God says, you messed up. You broke the ones that I gave you, and so now you have to go chisel out two more tablets, And so he chisels out the two tablets and then God continues and says, I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. So I would say that God is watching and God is knowing and God is saying, Moses, you messed up, bud. You let your attitude and you let your anger get to you and you have ruined what I have created. So Moses is continuing to deal with the Israelites and all of their complaining. And there's more complaining. So first they complained about the food, not having any food to eat, and now they're going to start complaining about water. I mean, they are in the wilderness, and so not a lot of water to drink. And so more complaining. And we're going to pick up in Numbers chapter 20, verse number 2. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Hmm, Shock, right? The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face to the ground. Then the the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. And as the people watch, speak to the rock over there, And it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels! He shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? And then Moses raises his hand, and he strikes the rock twice with the staff, and water gushes out, so the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Did you catch it? What did God say to do? Speak to the rock. It was very clear, was it not? Speak to the rock, Moses. And he doesn't. He strikes the rock. Not only once, twice. And he's yelling at them. Listen, you rebels! He's angry. Moses is angry with them, and he is preaching an angry message to them. In fact, in my mind, Moses is thinking, I hope water doesn't ever come from this rock. (laughs) These stupid people. Right? Right? And I like this part where he says, must we bring you water from this rock? We? Who's we? Because I surely don't think Moses is doing anything there. God is the one who's bringing the water from the rock, right? But God is gracious. God is merciful. And he lets the water come out anyways. So don't think that Moses gets off so easily here. He has some consequences as well as the Israelites did. All of his temper tantrums and his problems are about to come to a head. In Numbers 20, verse 12, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them because you did not trust me enough. Moses never got to see that promised land. All of that hard work, all of that days and nights in the wilderness, only to be on the brink of it and then miss out because you let your attitude and your anger get the best of you. Moses was basically saying, I don't trust you, God. I don't trust what you're doing here, and so I'm going to do it my own way. My way is better, which sounds awfully like, like a selfish attitude. Disobedience can grow from our bad attitudes. And we can miss out on what God has for us. I don't think that Moses started off intentionally wanting this to happen, right? He got frustrated along the way, listening to all of this complaining and all of the attitudes that he had to deal with, which then, can I just say, Attitudes are kind of one of these things where it either can unify you or it can tear you apart. Think about this. When somebody comes to you and they are starting to complain about their situation or whatever it may be, your response most oftentimes is, oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally understand what you're saying. Yes. Or it's, Absolutely not. I don't know what you are talking about. And so it's either unifying or it's dividing. And in this situation, Moses is mad. And there is some division happening there. And there is some consequences. And because of his attitude, he was disobedient, as were the Israelites. And our attitudes can cause us to disobey God. And when we do that, we miss out. So now that we've looked at some bad attitudes, you might be thinking, okay, Sharice, like I get it, complaining, got it. So what am I supposed to do? Well, let's look at what we are supposed to do in Philippians 2. Paul is the author of this book, and he is writing to the Philippians from jail. And he writes to show us as Christians what we are supposed to be doing, living out the story of Jesus, looking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, acting like Jesus. And so sometimes that might mean suffering like Jesus did, and sometimes it might be sharing in the glory of Jesus. But in Philippians 2, verse 1, we're going to start there. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress, impress others. Be humble, thinking as others, of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So we're going to stop there for a moment. So wholeheartedly agreeing... That's not easy to do, is it? What is it that Paul wants us to agree about? Well, loving one another, working together. And what is it that we're supposed to be working together for? God's kingdom, God's plans, God's purposes. We can all agree about that. We can all be unified in that. And that means that we love that person who has wronged you. We don't hold on to that anger. It means loving your spouse who might have said a few words to you. It means loving the parent or the teacher who you thought was so unkind and unfair. That means That I even need to love my neighbor when their leaves blow all through my yard. In verse 3, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Humble, according to the dictionary, means having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. So I'm a visual person, right? So... For me, it's like, that means I'm down here and everybody else is up here. It's not always about you. It's not always about me. It's about others. Keeping yourself humble. Let's pick up in verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That word humble appears three times in these verses. So it must be important, right? So how did God humble himself? How did Jesus humble himself? He took the position of a slave, a servant. Now we all know he was not a slave or a servant. He was a prince, a king. He deserved so much more. He was born in a stable where I'm sure it did not smell so good. He had no place to lay his head. He had no job. He provide, others provided for him. He was disgraced, died a death on a cross, mocked, humiliated. He was humble. He didn't deserve any of those things, but he humbled himself. He thought of himself less than everyone else. Christ sacrificed himself for you and for me. He sacrificed his attitudes, his thoughts, his feelings, all for you and for me. So you might say, But, Charisse, seriously, you don't know my situation. I know that I'm justified in my attitude, that I am right about this thing. Can I tell you? God was right, too. Jesus was right. He was king. He was Lord. It didn't matter. He still humbled himself. And so you might think that you are justified, You're not. Humble yourself. So, what kind of an attitude should we have? We should have an attitude of humility, just as Christ did. So, let me go back to my own story about my 45-minute complaining session. Um, I had been dealing with a situation. I continue to deal with a situation uh, that's I don't know, not so great, right? Um, But the Lord had been talking to me about my attitude. And there's a few things that I learned um, in dealing with my situation and my attitude. And so there's some steps that I have that I would like to share with you. The first one is to recognize that you have an attitude problem. Now you may say, "Oh, Charisse, I don't have an attitude problem. <laughs> Seriously, I'm a good person." Yeah, so am I. And I got an attitude problem. <clears throat> really, look at yourself. Do you complain? Are you angry? Do you think you are always right? Do you think that your ways are better than somebody else's ways? Are you doubtful? Are you critical? Really look at yourself and think about it. The second thing is to confess your sin to God. Confess your attitude. He already knows, by the way. Just like we learned from the Israelites and from Moses, God hears everything. And so he already knows how you're feeling and he knows your attitude. So simply tell him. Confess it. Ask for forgiveness from him. Number three, confess your sin to those around you who are affected by your attitude. So I did this. In my situation, I gathered around a few people who were affected by my attitude, and I confessed. And I said, I'm so sorry. I've had this terrible attitude about our situation because they were in the middle of it too. And they were very kind. They were also very wrong. Because what tends to happen is when you confess of your sin and they are in the same situation, they're going to say, it's okay, It's all right. We get it. This is yuck. And so you're okay. You're justified in your attitude. Friends, we are not. We are not. And my situation might be truth, but my attitude has to change. So when you confess to others, be careful. And I had to say, friends, I I appreciate that, but it's still not right. Number four, replace your attitude with a Christ-like mind and attitude. So this is not always easy, right? Our old ways of thinking tends to creep up on us all the time, but with God's help, we can replace it with truth and with his mind and with his attitude. And so oftentimes uh, in my situation, I would catch myself thinking things. And when, after I had confessed my attitude to God, um, it was amazing how he just would grab onto those things as I was thinking them throughout the day. And he called, got them to my attention, right? And it was, it was taking captive each and every thought and saying, God, forgive me. God, help me. Make me humble, Lord. And he can do that for you, too. And fifth, you might need some accountability. I had a friend who uh, was very kind, and, and I said, you know, help me in this. And this friend said, I will. I'll hold you accountable. And so whenever I see that friend, I know she's watching me. And so I have to be careful about what I say and what I do. Joanne, if you don't mind coming up. So, my question for you is this Do you have a bad attitude? Do you have a bad attitude towards someone or some situation? And really, do you want to change? Do you want to replace a complaining attitude with a thankful attitude? Do you want to replace a critical attitude with an attitude of love? Do you want to replace a doubting attitude with an attitude of faith? Do you want to replace a bitter attitude with an attitude of grace? So, what if we all took on the attitude of Christ? What if you were humble toward others? And what if you put others above yourself? Imagine what kind of a testimony that would be to others. God offers us grace all the time, and we need to offer it to others. Instead of hanging on to that anger and that bitterness, instead of being critical and cynical, we can offer grace and love and kindness. Your attitude can surely change when you give it over to God. So if we all had that attitude of Christ, putting others above ourselves, think of the unity that could happen, not only in this church, but in our community. Imagine if a community actually was humble before each other, imagine what could be accomplished with God's help. We would be loving towards one another, accepting of each other. There wouldn't be that division anymore because of our attitudes. And our attitudes can be our testimony to others. We can show others Christ by our attitude. There's always something to complain about. There were forever will be. But a follower of Jesus knows that all of life is a gift. You can choose to see the beauty in it and the grace There's a quote by Anne Voskamp, and uh, she says, God asks us to give thanks in everything because this is how you live through anything. Life is really just simply a string of moments put together. I don't know about you, But I don't want my testimony to be shattered by my attitude. I don't want my anger or my pride or my cynical judgment to affect my testimony to others they're watching so if you're here today and anything that i have said has spoken to you and i hope something has i'm going to ask that you respond to it so prayer team i'm going to ask you guys to come forward and everybody if you are able would you please stand with me If you are ready to change if you are ready to take on that different attitude if you are ready to be humble before others then i'm going to ask you to just simply come forward confess to god your attitude and that you would just ask god to replace it with something else our prayer team is going to be here for you to pray with. If you have a specific need, you can go to them. But if you are just, you're ready to get rid of that attitude problem that you have, whatever it may be, then as I pray, would you come forward and pray with me? Because I am still working on it.
0: I'm going to interrupt. Kay. Bring it on up, Pastor Daniel. You guys know where the complaint department is around here, Right. Right? Just to help you out, because I know sometimes it's a little nerve-wracking to come up to the front. But Sharice is going to pray in just a second. But if you want to get rid of a bad attitude or some complaints, just come on up and just invisibly just chuck it. Does that sound all right? Sorry, is that okay interrupted? I thought that might be fun.
1: So, Lord... We come to you today, and Lord, I confess of my attitude. Lord, I am not perfect, and you have seen my complaints. You have heard them loud and clear. And Lord, we just come before you, and we want to be humble like you were. Lord, we want to place others before ourselves like you did. And so, Lord, would you just replace our attitudes with what you have for us? Lord, whatever the attitude is, Lord, I pray that you would just take it, remove it, and replace it with your love, with your kindness, with your goodness, with your humbleness, Lord. That we would see others through your eyes. That we would know, Lord, that you are involved in our situations, in our moments. That, Lord, we can trust that we can trust you and we know that you will have us there for a reason and we are waiting for you and trusting you in that moment. So Lord, we just come before you today humble, asking for forgiveness and waiting for you to replace our attitudes with what you would want. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for being such a great example for us. Thank you for being humble and for dying on the cross for each of us, Lord. Have your way in our lives. Amen.
0: We're going to maintain an attitude of prayer in this room, so if you need to slip out at some point, you can head out to the lobby. But... Before you go, I just wanted to share, too, that when we give our lives to Jesus, we give him everything. But then we got to work on giving everything to him. And this is just another one of those steps. So if you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord yet, you can do that this morning. We're here. Our prayer team is here if you'd like to talk to somebody about that. But for real, if you want to get rid of some gunk that you got going on in there, and what Shri said spoke to you. Just come on up, lay it down before the cross, wherever you want to, and then head out and ask the Holy Spirit, like Shree said, as I'm going through my day, confront me on my attitude. What is my attitude? What is my attitude? What is my attitude? And help me to fight that. So Lord, bless everybody as we go. Keep us safe out on the roads. Thank you for this great Thanksgiving weekend, this great message today, and help us to live with a different kind of attitude. In Jesus' name, church, say amen. Like I said at the beginning, God had something specific to talk to you about today. And I'd encourage you to take a step right now. What is something you could actually do based on what God brought to your attention? It could be the action step that was brought out in the sermon or it could be something different. Just take a step. The Bible says when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to participate in person during one of our Sunday worship services. In the meantime, to keep up with everything our church is doing, go to foxvalley.church or download our app and search Fox Valley Church wherever you get your apps. God bless you.